Our goal is to, to get a better understanding of the basic principles of one of the most significant and ubiquitous phenomena in the world of Shabbos, and that is the world of Muktza, which is very complex, and we're going to try to just distill it and focus on some of the key ingredients, some of the key elements of the laws of Muktza. There should be more sheets in the back, going around. They're gone? Okay, we'll share. So let's take a step back. What is Muktza all about? Why is it that Muktza is so significant? What is it creating for us? Why is it something that we embrace as part of our Shabbos experience? So we spoke about many months ago in, in the Sabbath, we spoke about the idea of a palace in time, the Kedusha of Zman of Shabbos, the notion that Rabbi Heschel develops that Shabbos is this sacred time, which is very important. The challenge with that is, is that Shabbos, as a sacred time, it's a very abstract thing. It's very it's very ethereal. It's a notion that is difficult to put your finger on. What does it mean to create a connection to Hashem in time? So one of the great gifts that Chazal gave us is they said, well, wait a second, I, I get that. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you, at least me Rabbanon, we're going to give you a way, a path, to create that Kedusha by using Makom. Right? What is it that occupies space and not time? Objects, things. So from the realm of time, so from the Heschel viewpoint, things are not the focus of Shabbos, which is true on one level. But with the world of Muktzah, what we actually do is we, we do, we actually reorient ourselves to the world of things and how we relate to things. And perhaps what Chazal are doing is they're giving us a more practical, more tangible avenue to bring their boshalom into your life by the things that we engage. So now, let's take this down one more level. The idea that how we handle things on Shabbos is going to affect our Shabbos experience. So the way to appreciate this and understand it is going to be through one particular Rambam. And this Rambam is also going to help us understand how this Dindarabanan, which is rooted in the Torah, but it's a Dindarabanan, how it developed and what it is. So if you look in the Rambam, this is Barakhav Talid Halachid Beis. The Rambam tells us, Asru Chachamim, the Chachamim told us that it is forbidden, letaltil, to, tiltul means to handle, we're going to come back to this a little more later, to handle, miktas devarim b'shabes, certain things on Shabbos, in the manner that you do on the weekday. So so why did they tell us this? Why did they restrict us to this? Amru, they said, Wow, look at the prophets. They cautioned us. And they commanded, You shouldn't walk the same way you walk during the week. Unless you're going to shul or to a dvar mitzvah, should not run on Shabbos. And you should not speak on Shabbos the same way that you speak during the week. Tosfus quotes, there's Yerushalmi, that 
certain pious people, they would actually limit the amount of speech in general. Not speaking the same way. Which obviously includes much more than just the amount that you speak, but the type of speech that you use. Amir Laako might be under this category, asking a non-Jew to do a malacha for you. That's not the kind of speech you should be doing on Shabbos. Talking about malachas you're going to do after Shabbos, your speech is different. Kal certainly says the Rambam, shelo yetiltol b'Shabbos, the things that you handle, your activities, should not be ketiltol b'chol. Why? Kidei shelo yehei yeyeh kiyom chol be'enov. That it should not be a, an average day like every other day. This is the day that we connect with the Rabbonu Shalom. It's the day of Panimus, it's the day of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in your world. Well, that's not as apparent on a Monday or on a Tuesday. And if you act like it on a Monday, on a tu- like it's a Monday or a Tuesday, you're not going to have that ability to connect. So this Din of Muktza is creating that space for the Rabbonu Shalom. V'yavu l'hagbi, a person is going to lift up u'lastakin kelem epina lapina, omi bais l'bais, is going to start moving furniture around, doing spring cleaning. Oh, Start moving sticks and stuff and cleaning up the yard. It's not, it's not malachos, but these things. Person sitting home, they have nothing to do. And of course, they haven't yet spent all this year learning about Shabbos, so they don't know it's a good time for Zmiris, it's a good time for learning, it's a good time for a little bit of a nap on Shabbos, maybe. It's a good time for his bodidus and all kinds of Panemius things, the person doesn't know about that, so they're going to look for fiddling around the house. What can they do? Puttering around. And what's going to happen? Vinimza turns out, Shavas, the person didn't rest. They didn't have that restful experience of being, and they're still becoming. They're still looking, what's the next thing I need to fix? What's the next thing I need to do? What do I need to accomplish? As opposed to just Lamanyanuach. Noach, that's number one. Va'od, halacha yud gimel, says the Rambam. Kishi yavakar v'yataltol kalim shamalachtom le'isr. Let's say you're handling uh, an item. A kli means a vessel, a, u- a utensil. An item that is malachtom le'isr, that's used for an isr. So let's say, I don't know, you have a chainsaw. You have a chainsaw? That's a good example. A kli shamalachtom le'isr. I love this. You have a chainsaw. What do you use a chainsaw for? Either Malach of Chovel, killing someone, or the Malach of Kotzer, harvesting trees, cutting down trees, I don't know. So, Efshar, maybe, she is Sasik Mehmat, if you're going to be handling your chainsaw for whatever reason, you're just kind of um, re- reappointing it in your house. Efshar, it's possible, she is Sasik Mehmat, de Malacha. And you might violate a Malacha. Va'od, here's a third thing. There are people who are not craftspeople. But they are, literally, bato means they are unoccupied. Kagon, hatayolin, the people who are constantly just, just traveling, just chilling. Viyoshve, kronos, and the people who sit on the street corners. So, you know, when we lived in the Heights, there used to be people, especially in the summertime, late in the evening, I don't know exactly, I didn't get close enough to examine what game was happening there, but they set up a table, and they would say, I don't know, all kinds, I don't think it was chess. And all kinds of things were going on on 187th Street in Amsterdam, late into the night, this chev was the Yoshe Kronos, you know what I'm talking about, they're staying there late in the night, and in the morning they have a Shana Shachris, Baruch Hashem. These people, 
That's it's called your mayabim shows me malacha. They're not doing much work at all. And if you act in the same way on Shabbos, what's going to happen? You didn't have a discernible, perceptible shvisa stopping. You didn't create something unique and distinct about Shabbos Kodesh. So the Rebbe Shalom gave us the Chachamim who, who gave us this gift, who created this this. Shabbos space of saying everything you do, all the things that you engage with, they're going to be different. And that creates a mindset. It creates an awareness. I think, before I handle this thing, so why am I using this today? Is this in the service of my connecting to the Rebbe Shalom? Or is it in the service of I feel restless because I don't have anything to do? Or I feel like I'm lacking something, so I need to fill that lack. If it's coming from a place of I need this because it brings the Rebbe into my life. I need it because I have a guest that I'm going to serve, so I'm going to pick up this plate, I'm going to bring it into the dining room, I'm going to serve the people in my house. So the Ramam says, it's got to be And because of this, Chazal told us we shouldn't handle things that are not Shabbos appropriate. Okay, so the Ramam gave us three answers. To why it is that we have such a thing, and they're all very beautiful. The Ravid here, the Ravid, I don't know what the Rambam would have said if he ever met the Ravid. I don't know if he would have said that uh, he liked the Ravid Sasagos, the Ravid of Avon Bedavra Poskier, so he got a hold, and at the end of his life, he got a hold of the Rambam's work, the Mishnah Torah, and he scribbled a few notes down. The Rambam was, you know, this unbelievable towering giant who dies in 1204. The Ravid lives, you know, half a century later, a little bit. And he gets a hold of this manuscript. And some of these ideas, the Ravid thinks, I don't understand them at all. The Ravid was a tremendous genius, and he was extremely caustic. So he wrote a few notes down. We don't even have all the notes that the Ravid wrote down. The Ravid writes a note on this Rambam, and he says, I don't know about these ideas. Uh, Where do you get these things? These things don't appear anywhere in the Gemara. The Ravid says, I'll tell you what appears in the Gemara. And the Ravid, he wasn't best friends with Rashi, but there's a Rashi in Beitzah that points this out that's based clearly on the Gemara in Shabbos, on Dafkov Kof Gimel, and a whole bunch of Gemaras that sound like this. The Ravid, now the Ravid, he's writing in, in France. He did not write in Rashi script. Rashi probably didn't write in Rashi script, but the printers put in Rashi script. So it helps you remember that this is the Ravid, not the Rambam. Hasagas a Ravid, says the Ravid in the Rashi script, Omer Avram, Aleph Aleph, is, Abe says, Avram says, the Ravid, imagine he's just writing this little gloss, but they also said, But wait a minute. Isn't Tiltal, the Isra of handling non-Shabbos items, isn't that in the service that you shouldn't carry them out on Shabbos? So the Ravid says to the Ramah, he says, I don't understand. These are very nice ideas. I don't know where you got them from. The Gemara sounds like the reason that they prohibited you from handling non-Shabbos items is because that comes from the concern that you might carry them. If I'm handling something, I don't know, if I'm holding my water bottle, so maybe you're going to carry it out to the street, so we have to figure out, is it permitted to hold a water bottle on Shabbos? So this is what the Ravid asks from the Rambam. So this becomes a big brouhaha in the Rambam commentaries. Why did the Rambam omit this answer to why there's a din of what we're going to call muktzah? Why did the Rambam have to come up with a new idea? And the truth is, the Rambam kind of alluded to it when we saw one of the reasons the Rambam said that you shouldn't handle non-Shabbos items, that you might do a malacha. Well, the Rambam is telling you, I'll tell you exactly what malacha we should be worried about. We should be worried about the malacha of 
hotza of carrying something from a private domain of a Rishasayachid out to a Rishasarat. So this question of the Rambam is going to help us understand, and for those of us who are not familiar so much with the world of Muktzah, this is going to be like life-changing information, it's going to understand really the conceptual underpinning, what is the isode of the din of Muktzah. Or actually what we're going to see are two parts of Muktzah we don't really think about, and that's what we want to explore today. But before we answer this Rambam, there's another question that's kind of lurking in the background of this Rambam that the Ravid alludes to in the next line. The Ravid then tells you, he says, He quotes a Gemara in Shabbos, which you see here in source number two, it's one of the most, oh, didn't get the right to Maramakam, it says, or it's a Gemara in Shabbos, Kuf, Chav, Gimel, Amin, Beis. Oh, I remember what happened when I was putting this together, my my uh, Microsoft Word was fritzing out, so some of the Marmacomos, the, I see the title here got messed up. You need Mazel with everything, you know what I'm saying? Even the Microsoft Word. Nimza turns out He says, when did this concept come into being? When did Chazal introduce the restriction of handling non-Shabbos items, he came up in the days of Nehemiah ben Chachalia. So who was Nehemiah ben Chachalia? What does that have to do with anything? So the Gemara tells you here in source number two, Amram Nechanina, Bimei Nehemiah ben Chachalia, Nishnei's Mishnah Zu, Tersiv says in Pasuk, Bayamim Ahema Ra'is Bihuda Dorchen Gisos B'Shabbos, unfortunately Nehemiah, so Ezra and Nehemiah were the dynamic duo who were leading the Jewish people who were moving back to Eretz Yisrael in the time of the Aliyah of Aliyah you could call it the Aliyah of Ezra. And unfortunately, you know the story, most of the Jews, the observant people, they stayed in Bavel. We're sitting here in Chutzlarts, living large in Bavel, we're having a good time, and Ezra says, it's time to go home, we're going to go back to Israel. And everybody's like, eh, not so much. So you know, maybe, I don't know, 43 and change, 43,000 people, and who came back? Nebuch, unfortunately, not the... Not the most chashva people. The Dalasam in Delasi, not so allowed. You know, it was a shvach. It was very shvach. It was very shvach aliyah. And because of that, we had certain consequences. The Gemara talks about not for today. It's a bad situation. We have to learn from that story. But not only did people come back who were not the most refined people, even when they set up shop in Israel, a lot of people were not observant. And you read the pesukim in Ezra, Akedikach. There's rampant intermarriage. So there were a lot of struggles. And one of the things that they faced, the challenges, is that they, they had people who were not Shomer, Shabbos, Kadas, Michalo. It says positive, it says Beferish. They were Dorche Gitos, they were, uh, they were smashing the grapes on Shabbos, Umeviam Ha'aremos, and they were bringing merchandise to sell. They had shops open, they were bringing, they were carrying and violating Shabbos. So when you have a Pirza, when you have some kind of crisis, there are different ways that Chazal have addressed these crises. Sometimes in the time of crisis, you have to be more lenient to bring people back. And sometimes you have to reel it in much tighter to try to keep the level of observance. This comes up sometimes in Shabbos when you have issues of fires. So sometimes, other bol al-mamonos, so sometimes Chazal more machmir, because they want you to be more focused. So they said, Chever, no one's observing Shabbos. We have to be very serious about Shabbos. So in the days of Nehemiah, they introduced Super stringencies. Super stringencies like you never heard of. Like, maybe, I'm not sure a water bottle would be close to Ketonius, but maybe maybe you can't handle a water bottle on Shabbos. Maybe you can't handle a fork on Shabbos. So the Tosu says they didn't say forks exactly, but 
pretty much <coughs> almost anything, except for, you know, basically something you're going to use for food, they say you can't handle anything. They say you should stop! Get a hold of yourselves, people! This is crazy what's going on over here. And then Chazur V'etir, and then they saw people, they started to pay attention. What's Shabbos? What's their Bonshom want from us? So then they were more lenient <coughs> and more lenient. So there's a big discussion there in the Gemara and Shabbos. What exactly is it that they introduced and what did they repeal? And how did they have the authority to introduce and repeal it? But if you ask the Ravid and you ask the Gemara, when was this concept of not handling non-Shabbos items, and by the way, in those days it was even Shabbos items, when did this come to be? It came up in the days of Nechemia, in the beginning of the second days of Mikdash. Really? Is that so true? The Gemara and Shabbos and Taflamen on the base tells a story that, you know, David HaMelech, he was only gifted, from the Rebozhan, only gifted 70 years. And even that, the Medrash says, was a big stretch. They had to make a whole special cheshben to allot David HaMelech 70 years. And when the 70 years were up, that was going to be on a specific day. What day of the week was that going to be? It was going to be on Shabbos. And the Gemara tells us that the Malach HaMobis was kind of like, he was looking around, how is he going to get his chance? But David Malka Mashiach, David Malach was so on Shabbos, <coughs> he was so, so involved in learning, so they couldn't, Malachamavis couldn't hook him in. So the Malachamavis did some kind of stunt. The Gemara says that distracted him, so for a moment he stopped learning. And then, his soul departed. The problem was, the Gemara describes that he was, I don't want to say like, not respectful, but he was, his body was lying outside. That's where he passed away, outside. So the Gemara has a whole question. Shlomo Melech had to send a Shiloh to the base members. What do I do? That his father had passed away and his goof, his corpse was lying outside. And they didn't, it wasn't, it was refrigeration. It was, it was going to be like of Kavad Abrius, David HaMelech. So what are you supposed to do? So the Gemara has a specific Eitzah that they gave him. But why, why did Shlomo HaMelech have to send a Shiloh to the base Medrash? What was he concerned about? Why can't he just pick up David HaMelech, his late father, and bring him to a place where it was shady that wouldn't be concerned, that it would be in an evil, you know, disrespect. Oh, because they knew, Shlomo Melech knew that his body was mukza. So I love, there's an awesome, awesome ha'ar from the Chazim Sofer here, who says, the Chazim Sofer, in source number three, the Chazim Sofer points out that Shlomo Melech, he could have thought, wait a minute, Davon Melech was wearing royal garments. So can't you carry Davon Melech this this non-Shabbos item, this physical body that has no animation, it's not alive, derech, the clothing, because he's wearing clothing. So Shlomo Melech said, no, because there's a din that no one else is allowed to wear the clothing of the king. Only the king is allowed to wear the king's clothing. So the Chazim Sova said, but what about Shlomo Melech? He himself was the king. But Shlomo had such reverence for his father, he said, I'm, I'm going to wear my father's clothes, there's no way. And that's why he considered the whole situation a situation of Muktzah, because those clothes not going to be worn by anybody. That was how much love and respect he had for his, his father. He wasn't going to wear Dabar Melech's clothes. But what do you see from this story? You see from this story that the din of Muktzah is ancient. Long before the second base of Mikdash, it's already before the first base of Mikdash. So which is it? Is Muktzah introduced in the days of Nehemiah, or is Muktzah introduced in the days way back of David HaMelech and even before. So, this is not the only way to answer this question. If the Magad Mishnah here, he would not like this answer. But this is, I think, a great answer. And it's very helpful for us to understand both the Rambam and the whole development of Muktzah. And that is that there are two parts of this din. 
two parts of this din. And they were actually introduced at two different times. And there are going to be many nafkamina, practical differences, of this distinction. We asked, the Rav asked, why didn't the Rama mention that it was Xera, it was a stricture, that people are going to make a mistake, they're going to carry outside. Ah. That specific concern existed in the days of Nehemiah ben Chachalina. That was a later introduction. But the original restriction, that was an original restriction of Moksa all the days from Moshe Rabbeinu Etzina. Who develops this idea? So you kind of put it together between, there's the comment of the Shulchan Aruch Arav, which you turn, turn the page. The Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, <coughs> in the context of what kalim, what vessels you're allowed to handle and you are not allowed to handle, if you look toward the end of this passage, this is in Os Tesvav, in the days of Nechemah ben Chachalia, we had a specific Zeres Chachamim that related to Kalim, that related to vessels. That's what was introduced in the days of Nechemah. Like the Ritva says in the bottom of the next source, that the Gzeira was Mishum Hotzah, who Kashim Shagaz, we may Nechemia ben Chachalia, Afilo Bekelim Shemalachtom Leheter. Meaning, in the days of Nechemia, they came up with a new tier of Muktzah that related to vessels. It was so super strict, it was even vessels that you were Kalim Shemalachtom Leheter that were theoretically usable on Shabbos. And then they repealed that, they stripped it away. But what existed before? There was an earlier din, and the Archa Shulchan develops this even further. You put all these together, you come up with the basic yisod, that when Moshe Rabbeinu got the Torah, he came down and he said to us, guys, Laman Yonuach. <coughs> you have to rest. You have to be focused on the Rabbonu Shalom. If you're puttering around with things that are distracting you from Shabbos, things that are not Shabbos-oriented, they have no use, they're not going to be helpful at all in your experience of Shabbos, they're not appropriate for Shabbos. And that is what we're going to call the laws of muktza. Things that you are makze midas. You put them out of your mind. The word muktza, I wonder if it has a constellation of words which are related to it. So for example, katze, the edge of something, you put it at the periphery of your existence. Your makze means you say, I'm not thinking about this on Shabbos. I'm, I'm separating myself. Katsats means you're literally cutting yourself off from it. Or from the word cuts, something that you, you find that is distasteful to you. You're separating yourself from it. If it's anything that's not Shabbos focused, I'm saying it's out of my purview. It's gone. And that was in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu. Because if it has no Shabbos purpose, why are you handling it on Shabbos? What's the point of it? Now, you have other things that they could be used theoretically on Shabbos. And Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say anything about those things. So let's say you have a pair of scissors. I don't know, in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu, you maybe used your scissors to open, I don't know, your, uh, I don't know, open your pickle jar. You need a can of scissors. You need to open the pickles so you get a t- scissors. That's a Shabbos activity. Assuming there's no malachas with opening the cans or whatever, leaving that for side. But, right? I don't know, you want to prop the door open. 
there's nothing wrong with Anor Shabbos. There's no Malacha. So Moshe Rabbeinu would say, you can take the scissors and prop open the door. So comes the Chemi, and the Chemi says, wait a second. What's the primary use of scissors? Or maybe, what is the majority use of scissors? This is a slight discussion, but we'll generally assume that the primary function of something and the majority of the usage of something are generally overlapping. So why do you generally use scissors? You use scissors to cut things. Especially in the Mishkan, what were they cutting? They were cutting material, they were cutting things to size. That's a malachot arayis of machatech. So Nehemiah comes along and says, Schever, we're going to add something new. Until now, scissors, you couldn't handle scissors on Shabbos for things that you, you were going to use them for, some Shabbos activities. But now we're going to say, you can't handle scissors at all. And then, the Machlok is the Gemara, Abai and Rava, how much they were chazuvei to you. But this is the key distinction. In the beginning, there was exera against muktza, against totally non-Shabbos items. And then they added something else. This addition, it's not muktza per se. There's nothing objective about these things that are not Shabbos. But it's that you shouldn't handle them because you might carry them. It's something about you. This might answer the Rambam. Of course the Rambam knew that in the second, in the tier two, in the days of Nehemiah, in that new layer, the reason that they prohibited people from handling these new kinds of kalim was because of Hotzah. But the Rambam will tell you, but there's a much more fundamental principle at work. And that more fundamental principle of the Gzeera of Malach in general is going to be including the more narrow the secondary tier two. So the Ramah is going to give you three reasons, and those three reasons are so significant that that's going to include tier one, we'll call that muktzah mamish, real muktzah. And then we're going to give you tier two, which is not muktzah, it's not objectively a non-Shabbos item, but you shouldn't engage with that on Shabbos. So, to summarize, this is the key, crucial point. There are, when you say something is muktzah, you want to be very precise what you mean by that. Do you mean it's tier one mukta, absolutely non-Shabbos item? Or do you mean it's tier two, something you shouldn't handle? Which, by the way, has nothing to do with, like, driving. Right? If somebody says, I, I couldn't believe that guy was driving last Shabbos. I mean, he was doing mukta. Driving is not mukta, right? There's a difference between a malacha and mukta. We know that clearly by now. Right? We use mukta. That's like a Yiddishism. But legally, this is a crucial definition. So turn the page, because I think this, at least for me, <coughs> one way to distinguish these two categories, a Rebbe Rav Shechter Shalita, he likes to go with this line, that there are certain things that are made for Shabbos use. Adam v'kelem ochlem umashkim. These are the main categories. That, so far, so good? Yes? All right, we've got we to make sure we're on, in the straight narrow over here. There's someone who actually knows like, what Rav Shechter actually said. So Rav Shechter used, now, this is not 100%, Rav Shechter told us, it's not 100% exact parallel. The Gemara has some questions about certain aspects of this. So, for example, let's say you have a piece of wood that you use as a back scratcher when you go to the Russian bath for a Shodesh. I don't know if people do that. But let's say you did that. So you have that piece of wood. That, that's truthically eight. That's not Makabal Toma. But it is a cleave for purposes of Shabbos because you use it as a back scratcher. And so it's, it's, there's, some, there's some, slight, some slight distinction sometimes between the world of Kabbalah's Toma and the world of Shabbos. But 
Just generally speaking, these are going to be your four main categories of things that are Shabbos items, Shabbos appropriate. Adam, your children, your grandmother, they are not muktzah. Grandmothers are not muktzah on Shabbos. Right? Adam. Number two, Kalen. Generally speaking, utensils. If you ask Moshe Rabbeinu, when he came down from Har Sinai, is a kli a utensil? Is that mukta? Moshe Rabbeinu would say, no, it's not mukta. No kli can be mukta because it has utility. A kli is not mukta. Ochlin, strawberries. Strawberries are not mukta. No food can be mukta. And mashkin, beverages. So, Adam, the Kalem, Ochlum, Mamashkim. This is going to be your line of demarcation. If you do not fall into this category of Adam, the Kalem, Ochlum, Mamashkim, you're going to be on the right side, which is one of like the archetypal category of Mukta, what we call Mukta Mamish. That's Mukta Machmas Gufo. It is non Shabbos, set aside because of it itself. Have no utility. If you have junk, dirt, leaves, sticks, there's no utility for that. Now, could be you decide you're going to make a sandbox for your kids or your grandchildren. So then you're going to create a Shabbos use out of that. Now there are different issues with using sandboxes on Shabbos about other malachas, but let's assume for a second that they, especially in antiquity, they would use, they didn't have indoor plumbing. So they would sometimes use ashes or sand for, you know, whatever you call it, like uh, hygienic purposes in a person's house or outside their house. So they would designate the sand, then it has a purpose. It's not saying that a stick can't have a use on Shabbos, but you have to upgrade it from a non-Shabbos item from being muktzah machmas kufo. You have an ID. So you have a driver's license. So I'm looking at this driver's license. So first of all, the picture on the driver's license is a little bit embarrassing. But you look at the driver's license. Does this have any utility? What do you do with the driver's license? What do you do with a credit card? There's no inherent use of these things. So that's why the Gemara also describes that money, it's the gufo. There's nothing, that's not a Shabbos item. There's nothing you can do with it. It has representative value, but unless it has utility, that's not called, um, that's not called uh, a clean. Similarly, let's say you have shells. Now, some of us like to, after you open the peanuts, all right, peanuts are a little more complicated on Shabbos, whether or not, you know, maybe, that, maybe we shouldn't use peanuts, because probably today, pistachios. I don't know. Pistachios, today, most people, unlike maybe peanuts, problem, but pistachios, the majority of pistachios you shell at the table. But some of us, when no one's looking, you'll take the shell and you'll like suck out the last bit of salt in the <laughs> shell. So that's not mukta. But let's say you have a shell that is ice, totally gone, nothing. There's not one shred, a schmeck of anything left in it. It's junk. So that's also mukta. Anything that has no utility, it's not other v'kelem o'chlom mashkim. that's mukta mamish. But now we're going to add in the days of Nehemiah a whole nother list of things. So you have a pen, you have scissors, a car. This is a little more complicated about a car. Maybe it depends. Ilan's car, Baruch Hashem, that is not Category of mukta machmas kisarukis. That's a regular standard mukta. We'll get to that in a second. But anything which is a utensil, but that utensil's primary use is for a malacha, so that's not mukta. It's now what we call an iser tiltal. You have a prohibition for handling that thing. There's going to be a huge difference. 
You understand the difference between dirt and a pencil, right? Between your ID and the, the scissors. Most, I should say most postkin, many postkin of Schefter, chief among them, assume that your standard electronic devices, is that a fair uh, representation? Yes? I'm just making sure. Great. Okay. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> it's like when they call your grandmother after the year. This is what happened. So I think uh, Rav Schechter assumes, like many other poskim, that electronic devices, those are klisha malachto laser. What is the, let's say you have a fan. Remember in camp, we used to take those little fans, you, you have the fan. What is the malacha that you do, the action that you do with the fan? You turn it on or you turn it off. So that's an iser. What exactly that is, is a good question. Maybe it's bona, maybe it's makabapatesh, it's probably only a bona or something will tell you, but it's some kind of thing that you're not supposed to do on Shabbos. So that's going to be a kli, it's a vessel, it's a fan, or it's a, I don't know, a light bulb, light switch, all these things. That's a kli, it's a vessel, it has use. That's malachto. Leiser, its general usage is for iser. So, this, on the right side, is going to be Muktza Machmas Kufo. That is going to be absolute Muktza, tier one Muktza, Moshe Rabbeinu Muktza. Tier two is going to be Nechemia Muktza. Here's the difference. We said that in the days of Nechemia, they were super Machmir, but then they were slowly, slowly more Mako. So they said, wait a minute, this is not real Muktza. So if it's not real Muktza, you're allowed to use this item. Lutzorech Gufo, for its own use for a Shabbos purpose, or L'Tzorach Makomo, or for the place. So, if you have Muktzah Mamish, real Muktzah, junk, you have no leniency. But if you have something which is a non-Shabbos Kli, Kli Shemalachtola Iser, I can use it L'Tzorach Gufo. Now the Mishnah Bruce says that you should avoid it if you can, to use something else. But let's say you want to open a package on Shabbos. And the Ramah is machmir, that we shouldn't tear letters when we open packages on Shabbos. So you want to open the package of nash, or uh, falafel-flavored bisli. I see Dr. Kavli, you're looking at me and thinking the falafel-flavored bisli is very exciting. But you want to open that Osim package, and for some reason, the holy Jews who made that packaging, they covered the entire packaging in letters, that you have to be Picasso to slice the whole, you know what I'm talking about? So this is a problem. So... You know, opening the packages with the letters on them, tearing the letters is not the worst thing in the world, at least according to many achronim. There are a lot of reasons why we don't have to be, like, we should try to avoid that, but, okay, if the, the grandchildren are looking for the Shabbos party and that's all you have, so this is like, it's not pikuach nefesh, but it's close as a grandparent. <laughs> like, you better get that snack open before a meltdown happens. So you tear the letters, it's not the worst thing in the world, but we should try to avoid that. Okay, so let's say you have an idea. I have a great idea. I have one of those box cutters, or I have a pair of scissors. Can I use the scissors to cut through? So if you can't use a knife, because you think you're not going to be able to cut through and get the packaging open without tearing the letters, so you can take a pair of scissors. If you see someone doing that, if you're not acquainted with the rules of mukta, you would freak out. Someone's going to take out their pen, or their pencil, and they need to crack open a nut they could do that. If you can't get it open with a knife, you take a hammer, a good bona fide hammer, and you smash it open. Because a hammer, or a pen, or a scissors, that's a klisha malachta And it's mutalut sorech kufo. 
If you can't use something else, so use that. Or it's also mutter, it's also permitted to handle it, to move it, let's Makomo for the place. So you come Friday night and you see and on your chair is sitting your, your uh, scissors or your hammer. So you know what you could do? You can, well, we get to the phone in a second. You could pick up the scissors or the hammer with your hand and you can move it to the place where it belongs and put it away. You could just do that. You come back, what's that? Not with a shinoi, good old-fashioned tiltal. If you want to, you can just pick it up and move it. Because it's mutal tzorkufo makomo. Similarly, you have a fan, and the fan is blowing on, let's say, it's blowing on you. You set up the fan before Shabbos, you're in your bunk on, on uh, Shabbos afternoon, and it's blowing on you, and it's very cold. It's freezing. So the fan is bothering you. So tzorkufo makomo, you can take the fan, and you can turn it the other way. Or the lamp is bothering you. You can't sleep. So you can take the lamp and move it. It's not muktzamamish. If it was dirt or money, then that's muktzamamish. And it's not true just for things that are muktzamamish. It's even true for things, and this is a whole world in and of itself, that become subsumed under muktzamamish. So let's say I have, I have money, and the only thing I keep in my wallet is money, and when Shabbos starts, I take my money and I put it in my wallet. And that's where I designate that this money should stay in this wallet for the next 25 hours. And now check the boxes of almost all the Rishonim on this din, which is referred to as a basis, which means something which is subservient, or in the service of something which is muktzamamish. So now this wallet also becomes muktzamamish. So if I come Friday night and I see that my wallet is sitting on my bed, not only is the money Muktzamamish, the wallet is Muktzamamish. Now, the bed, that's generally not going to become Muktzamamish because did I intend to keep the wallet on my bed? And did I intend to keep it all there, all Benashmashos and all of Shabbos? I was Shokheach. I didn't think of it can be there. And maybe I also have sheets on my bed. Maybe I have other things I left there. I don't know. It was a rush. It was there of Shabbos. So that's not. But the idea that this is category number one Muktzamamish, Muktzamach Maskufo, and anything which is a buses. If it's a basis for muktzamamish, that you don't have these leniencies. But if it's a, it's a vessel, it's a kli, but it's a kli isser, you have that of tzarkufo makomo. What you do not have is what's called mechamal itself. You cannot protect that kli for its own sake. So let's say you have this pen here, and I'm thinking, oh, if I leave the pen here, it's going to get stolen. So I should really move the pen. I have an expensive Mont Blanc pen. I'm going to move it to my closet where it won't get stolen. So you can't do that because that's not for Shabbos purpose. That's just to protect your pen. So that you can't do, but you can do that for a klisha malach heter. For like, I don't know, you have a mug and you're not using the mug, you can move that so that the mug doesn't get stolen. So what did you do with the wallet on your bed? So we're going to get to that in one second. <laughs> what do you do with it? We'll get to it. I just want to make sure we, don't, we have enough time. So now... We have <coughs> Muktzamamish on the right side, and that's going to include buses. Then we have Klisha Malachtol Isra on the left side, that's going to be the days of Nehemia. That's going to have the separate super leniencies of, of Tzorach Gufo for itself or Tzorach Makomo. Now, sometimes you have something which is so expensive, it's so expensive that you would never use it for any other purpose. So let's say you have a specialized piece of equipment. I don't know, let's say you have a medical device that's used for cutting open somebody's eyeball. 
let's say, theoretically. <laughs> Father-in-law is an ophthalmologist. <laughs> so you have this very specialized piece of equipment, which is used for some kind of malacha, whatever, and you would never let your grandchildren play with that, right? For obvious reasons, because it would damage it. Or you have a, a very expensive um, phone. So then that phone is only for one purpose. Would you ever use that phone as a doorstopper? No, you would never use that phone as a doorstopper. Would you ever use that laptop as a, as, you know, as a stender? No. Uh, then it's, oh good. So if it's something which is so expensive that you would only use it for the Isser purpose, this is what Rav Shechter Shlita calls kol malachto Isser, then that now moves from the category, the left category of Kalim, on your page, now it goes to Moktzamash. Super duper machmer. Now, if your phone is, I don't know, an iPhone 4, and you're still, or your Blackberry, and it only costs you $18.99 on eBay, and you would let your grandchildren play with it, so then that's just a Kalisha Malach Then you have all your leniencies from the left side. But if it's so expensive that you would not let anybody else play with it, that's Kol Malach There are other Achronim who have a different definition of this. And they would assume that this din applies even to things that are kalim shalheter. Let's say you have a, I don't know, you have a Babe Ruth signed baseball that's worth $50,000. You would never let anybody play with that. So some would say that that also falls into your category of muktzamamish. But leaving that aside, if you have something that's a very expensive item, that's going to also become muktzamamish because it's kalmalach laser. It's the equivalent of dirt. So is that subject? So yes, it is subjective. Much of the area of mukta is subjective, although not exclusively. So I'll give you two examples of things that are not really subjective. There is a big machlokus in the Gemara, in the Tanoim. What happens if you have something that you subjectively take it out of your mind? You say, this is not really a Shabbos item for me. For various reasons. So let's say you have a birthday cake. And you're going to serve this birthday cake for, I don't know, your children's birthday in two weeks. But you baked it on Friday because you're going to be running out of town. So you put the birthday cake in the freezer. Is there any way you would ever use that birthday cake tomorrow? No. You would be sleeping on the street if you ate that birthday cake for dessert. Do not touch that birthday. You're not going to use it at all. So there's one opinion in the Gemara. Rabbi Yudah's opinion is that if you have a Tamri Deiska, if you're going to have something that's going to be put away for two weeks, you absolutely will not touch it. That becomes mukta because you put it away. But we don't possibly like that. We bask in that the, the mukta has to be more objective. And so the, the, the birthday cake, objectively, it's food, so it's not mukta. Let's say you have, you, have a, you have something, you have a kli, you have a bowl, and it's very dirty. It's disgusting. So some would say, Rebuta would say, that's disgusting, you're not going to use it on Shabbos. But Shimon would say, no, 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 it's inherently, it's usable on Shabbos. So it's going to fit into our left category of kalim. Two more nafkaminat of this big, obviously the biggest differences are L'Tzorach Kufa Mekomo, but there's also another difference. It's uh, the heter, the Gemara talks about the Shulchan Aruch, talks about there's a heter of Kikor Otinok. Let's say you have something that's um, a non-Shabbos item, and you want to move it. So if you want to move this non-Shabbos item, because you don't want it to get stolen, so if you take a Shabbos item, and you put it on top of it, like a piece of bread or a cookie, then you could take the non-Shabbos item and move it. But that only applies if the thing is a kli. It doesn't apply if it's muktamamish. If it's a stick, unless it's a deceased person, you don't have that heter. Similarly, the Mishnah Bruin Shin Fes in Sifkat Yagimel points out, let's say you accidentally pick up something that's muktzah. 
So if it's right category, if it's primary level one muktza, you have to drop it right away. But if it's category number two, if it's just a klisha malachta lister, you can take it, you picked it up by accident. This is how extensive this heter is. But you can move it to wherever you want. This is the key distinction for muktza that you got to know. You look at every item, you say, is this muktza mamish? Or is this a kli shemalachto le'isr? Now, there are many, many other permutations and ramifications, and there's no lad and no lad gamor, no she'eno gamor, and muktza machmas yom she'avar, muktza machmas eskatsoi ben ashmoshos, muktza machmas mitzvah, a lot, a lot of other things to say about muktza. But I think this is the most important thing. So now, let's conclude with the practical ways of dealing with your muktza. So here are, here are, I would say, turn the page to your key concepts, six and seven. <coughs> three, three ways of handling tartimashma, what you've got, which is mukta, and then four key limitations of mukta. The first one is, we pointed out that the isra mukta and the isra of tiltal is handling. That means using your hands. If you are not using your hands, it's not a problem. Not only is that true for tier two mukta, it's also true it's true for tier one mukta. So if I have money sitting on my bed, I can take my foot and kick it right off. That's called total mukta bagufo. It's a Mishnah right here. Hakasha agave mita, let's say in source number six, the Mishnah in Kuf Memalev says, lo you shouldn't move it with your hands. Elamanano bagufo, you can just move it. And by the way, this is not just a shinui. This is not mukta. Mukta is handling it with your hands. Right? Ashina would be writing with your elbow. Mukta, the only prohibition is to use your hands. Oh, that's a good question. That's good. We're going to get that in one second. So, generally speaking, the question, I'll get to that, I'll, I'll explain what he said in one second. If you're using your elbow or your knee or your foot, that's going to be totally fine. One other thing in this department. So first one is, use your body. Second is, there is only an isr of metaltal to move the thing. But this is also a common misconception. We could have structured, I thought about structuring this year as the top ten myths of mukta. So one of them is, you're not allowed to touch something which is a non-Shabbos item. It's not true. And you're like, bah! Like, you're allowed to touch anything. You're not allowed to be metaltalate. So the Archa Shofan says, you should be careful. If the thing that you're going to move is an egg, if you're going to touch an egg, you know what's going to happen. It's going to move. So that's a problem of mukta. But in theory, if you're walking by, so sometimes this happens with the kids when walking to shul on Shabbos, and so one of the kids will start flicking the tree. So that's an isra of tiltal mukta. Even, by the way, even though you're not uprooting the whole tree and moving it, there's a mission that describes ein matzim and ein of shalmes. You can't, it's not, the Israel Mukta is not just taking one thing and moving the whole thing, even a part of it. So let's say opening a car door is an Israel of Tiltal Mukta because you move the door even though you didn't move the whole car. So if one of the kids is walking and he's flicking the tree, so you say to that little child, you say, isn't that tree Mukta? Isn't that a non-Shabbos item? And that's Mukta Mamish from Moshe Rabbeinu, from Har Sinai. That's Mukta Mamish. But if this same child, while you're walking to shul, walks past the car and he starts going like this, so then you have another chinuch issue, which is explaining to them not to touch other people's things. But that's above a metziyadin, not a Shabbos din. Because there's no isra to touch a car on Shabbos. The car doesn't move when you touch it, generally speaking, unless you're like, oh, Melech So there's, number one, the heter is, 
You can move it paguf. Number two, you can touch a mox item. Number three is what Mark pointed out, which is based on this rush in the third parak of Shabbos. There's something called tiltul minatzad. Tiltul minatzad means indirect movement of something. So let's say the the um, the wallet is on the bed, and let's say the bed is not a busis. You didn't intend for it to be there. You can take the bed, flick it off. Sometimes you're taking a broom and you're moving it. But there's one key caveat here. You're only allowed to move muktzah, tiltal muktzah minatzad, if it's litzorech for the purpose of davar hamutter, something which is permitted. So let's say you have, I don't know, you have some, um, you have a muktzah item that's on the floor. And it's not nice in the kitchen that that muktzah item fell on the floor. So you could take a broom and you're going to sweep it. Now it's not total beyadaim, it's not moving it with your hand, so that's not real total muktzah. But you're going to use the broom to sweep it. So that's going to be called tiltal minatsad, indirect movement. Well, why am I moving it? If I'm moving it to protect it, that's a problem. But if I'm moving it because I want to be able to walk in the kitchen without this thing on the floor, that's going to be permitted. So these are three key principles. Number one, tiltal mukta is only if you're using your hands, not if you're using your body. Number two, it's only if you're moving the item, not if you're touching the item. And number three is it's only if it's going to be direct. But if it's tiltal minatsad, if it's indirect... So you could take something else and swat the muktzah away if it's a tzorok davar hamotzah. In conclusion, there are going to be four, we can call these the four Ds, the four do's of muktzah, the four limitations. These are key leniencies that come up in the world of muktzah. The first one is danger. When you have hezek, if you have broken glass, broken glass is what we call nolad, shivrei kalim. It is muktzah, it's absolute junk. Unless you lived in antiquity and you would use that glass to cover the pot you had a little wine bottle, and you, that's when the times of the Gemara, Shifrei Kalim, maybe it was Nasus Malachto, whether it's the original Malachto or some new Malachto, but in today's day and age, the broken glass, that's Muktzamamish. So it's Muktzamamish. What are you going to do? So if you're going to sweep it, that would be Tiltamanat Mutter. Let's say you can't sweep it up. You don't have a broom. So it's dangerous. It might not be Pikuach Nefesh, but it's certainly dangerous. So you could pick it up with your hands, and you can throw it away. Put it in a safe place. And get rid of it. Because it's dangerous. That's number one. Number two, dignity. Covered up reels. God forbid. We're not talking about the issue of, of uh, mechatech. But in the times of the Gemara, God forbid somebody's in place with their personal dignity is going to be compromised. In the times of the Gemara, you were talking about stones that they used for hygienic purposes after a person would use the restroom and they didn't have Charmin toilet paper. So they would use stones. So you have to be mazmin those stones. Remember, we said at the beginning, if it's junk, it's muktzah mamish. But if you designate it, then it's not muktzah. So if you used, if you designated these stones are going to be the toilet paper for Shabbos, so then that's fine. But let's say the person didn't. And it's a kavod abrios. It's a personal dignity problem. So kavod abrios, this is a special dindar raisa. So the dindar of muktzah is going to go out the window for the person's dignity. Number three, if something is disgusting, we call this graf shalrei. So let's say low lane a person is in a hospital scenario and there's something that's, you know, not, not pleasant that's in the room on Shabbos. So that's an affront to the whole environment of Shabbos. Similarly, if someone has small children, so you have a dirty diaper, that dirty diaper, that could be like the most, the most <laughs> grafshal race situation. Like, so if it's something which is disgusting. Now let's say you live in a 42 house mansion and one of the children left a dirty diaper in the 37th bedroom on the 14th floor. Now you're not going to see that because you're singing Bavo Me'adam and it's Shalashudas and it's like 20 minutes before Ois Shabbos. Does it bother you? Is it disgusting to you? Do you care? So then you wouldn't have the heter. The heter of Graf Shalrei is the Chama looks at me she's like, hey, please take out the garbage. It's overflowing. It's disgusting. So the garbage 
probably 90% of the stuff in the garbage is not muktzah, but probably a lot of the stuff, maybe less than 9%, a lot of the stuff in the garbage is muktzah. Some of it is muktzah mamish. A lot of it is not. Some of it is plates. And if, God forbid, we were, if low if a person had to reuse all their chad pami vessels, you probably could do it. You probably could. Thank God we're able to throw them out. But if a person was mamish, mamish poor, most of the stuff in the garbage is probably not muktzah mamish, but some of it is muktzah mamish. But it's graf shalrei, it's disgusting. So it's really, it's, it's disgusting, and that's also going to be subjective, if you're very sensitive to these things. And the last one, it brings us all the way back to David Melech, is that there are certain coolest in Hilchus Mutzah if somebody passes away, Oleno on Shabbos, Letzorach Hamez. So to summarize, we talked about the fact that there are two key categories of Mutzah. There is Mutzah Mamish, that goes all the way from the days of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's going to have very, very limited application on Shabbos in terms of what you could do with it. You're going to have to use one of your three eights. You can either have to do tilt to begufo, use your shoulder, elbow, your foot, your knee, or something like that. Number two, you're going to be able to only touch it without moving it. Or number three, you're going to do tilt to side if it's a tzorok dover mutter. If you have a $1 bill on the floor or a $100 bill, you can't take a broom and, sw- and sweep it into the closet because that's for the bill, not for me. But I could take my foot and kick it in. Exactly, I could take my foot and do kiltotumotubagufo. But on the other side, if you have a kli, if it's a kli shemalachtole iser, so then you could use the letzorach gufo for its purpose if it's a Shabbos activity, or letzorach makomo, you need the space for Shabbos, or one of the other heterma total aroch. But we did set the limitation that it's got to be a kli, which is something that is majority for an iser, but could be used for heter. But if it's something which is kol malach to the only you would never, ever in your right mind use that for a door stopper or to give to a kid to play with, then that's going to revert back to the first. It's going to be upgraded to tier one mukta kalisha malach to which is kol malach to It's mukta It's so expensive that you wouldn't use it for anything else. You wouldn't have your regular hetayim. And then the last category is to know that in the case of danger or a person's personal dignity or if something is disgusting or flachman a person is the case of mace. So then you're going to have. Uh, a lot of exceptional leniencies and limitations of Mukta.